Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. This week, we are delighted to bring you a conversation with somebody who was just wonderful to talk to, Meredith McLaren, who is the second guest we're having in this new ongoing monthly series that we still don't have a name for. If you have an idea for a name, please send it in to us. And if uh, yours is the winner, you will get a candy bar of your choosing. But this month, guys, we're super excited to talk to Meredith. She will tell you what she has going on coming up in the future. I don't want to spend too much time on this intro, but I will say you should just Google her name and uh, take a look at her work before listening to the episode because she is incredibly talented and just a delight to talk to. We start off talking about her work and it, it just changes into a conversation about so many things. As you can see, this episode's a bit long because we were just having a good time, having a good conversation. And this episode's coming a little bit raw. I didn't get the time to edit this before heading out of town as much as I would have liked. Uh, so you're getting a little more of the hymns and haws and the pauses I would have cut out, but it's really I wasn't going to be able to cut much out anyway so I, I really am excited for you guys to hear this and to enjoy the show Nick and I will be back with a regular episode uh, next week in the meantime though uh, enjoy this episode and if you have an idea of who you want us to talk to or someone you think we could talk to please send us an email heckyeahcomics at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at heckyeahcomics And we would love to have your input on people you think we should be talking to. Right now, though, you're going to hear us talking to Meredith McLaren, and we'll see you guys again real soon. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Our guest today is Meredith McLaren. Meredith, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for for calling me and letting me talk. Yeah, no. Gab. I'm super excited. Uh, How long have you and I known each other now? It's been... Oh, gosh. It has to have been... It's been over 10 years. 15 years? years? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is crazy. I think that's how long I've known him, too. Yeah, because I think I started working at the shop when I was, like, 14. So, yeah. Oh, child labor. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I got three comics out of it. Well, perfect. Uh, If only all child labor could be so generous. Right. Mm-hmm. So looking at what you have, you have so much stuff coming up. I'm having such a hard time trying to figure out where to even begin in talking about any of these projects. Uh, congratulations on all the work. Oh, oh thank you. Uh, I'll feel better when I've made more headway on all these projects. Uh, one thing I saw that you have coming up next year, early next year, is something called Twisted Romance. Yeah, uh, with it's it's sort of it's a four issue anthology piece. With uh, Alex DeCampi is doing all the curating for it. Mm-hmm. She got everybody together, and uh, yeah, I let's see. There in each story, if I remember right, there's one big story that Alex writes, wrote and, and worked with um, different artists per issue to do. And then she invited a bunch of other artists 
to do short stories. So I have one of the short stories in the second issue. Hmm. And that's eight pages. And then I think there's also, uh, as the project grew and grew, I think now we've got some prose stuff going in there as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of stuff going into this book. That's really cool, though. That's Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What, what is kind of the book generally about? Just a quick overview. It's um, it's all aspects of romance. So you're not just going to get something uh, where it's um, boy meets girl or girl meets girl or boy meets boy, whatever. It's also like uh, we had a romance and then we hated each other. <laughs> um, or, you know, I had un- unrealistic expectations for this relationship, you know. Mm-hmm. It it does have the romantic stories, but it really takes a broad view of all the different ways love or thinking you're in love or trying to pursue love affect your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, that kind of perfectly segues, way in, segues into something that... Um, I I was I I'd kind of run into this interview uh that you did earlier this year and that kind of like sparked my wanting to interview you on uh the show this book you have coming up super fun sexy times. Uh, yeah. How's that coming along? Um let's see. Uh it's interesting. It's one of those things where uh my editor Ari Yarwood um sort of said, do you have any interest in doing like an adult book? And I, I thought about it and I've always been very interested in the domestic lives of superheroes, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be like where they get their tailoring done. Like what is it? There's a character in the Marvel universe. I think he's just known as the tailor. Uh, And it's like, I could have a whole series about him and he's just the guy who fixes the supervillains in the superheroes costumes. I really like that aspect of living in those worlds. Uh, and so uh, that sort of segued into, well, I'd like to talk about superheroes having relationships because um, with some of the superpowers that people have, you can sort of use it as a facade to talking about other kind of, you know, uh, Ooh. you can sort of use it as a, a segue or a metaphor for, for other stuff that affects people's lives. Like, I don't know. Um, it's not in this book, but in a future book, I'd like to maybe have a superhero that's uh, a hive mind. So oh. I can talk about people having uh, people who have um, multiple personalities, mm-hmm. uh, how they might have relationships because it has sort of, it's for a long time, it's had sort of a negative connotation, you know, Mm -hmm. the, um, they're always cast as murderers. And now a lot of, uh, it, a lot of those folks are coming forward saying, no, it's, it's actually, I can see how it's difficult for other people, but for it's worked out pretty well for me, like it helps me function or whatever. Um, so you can sort of use, you know, it's always the thing with superheroes where it's like, you're always talking about something else. Mm-hmm. whenever you're talking about like mutants or something i feel like i've gotten way off track there's no, no, still no, a lot of great. sex in there <laughs> as the name implies um, 
Yes. Um, and also when I was talking to Ari about this, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And I'm like, yes. And and I did some pitch pages for her where none of the sex actually happens. And I'm like, I know there's no sex in these pages, but you know I'm good for it. Um, I was sex a little overconfident. Uh, I'm finding that draw, uh, drawing smut is a lot more uh, difficult than initially thought. I'm still up to the challenge, but... <laughs> What what about it's, it's it do you find curve. what about it do you find so difficult? Oh gosh. Um uh, <laughs> it's oh gosh, it's um technically on a technical aspect, mm-hmm. having two bodies that are like squished together, uh making it look like they're actually like skin on skin ah. drawing wise is kind of difficult for me. Other folks, not so much. Um, and then, and then, the other part of it is when you're writing it, you're just like, this isn't because you're the one writing it. You're like, this isn't uh, arousing at all. <laughs> and then, because you're like, you've been staring at that page for three months, and you're like, there's nothing about. If anyone said this to me, I would be like. I'd, I'd be laughing off the bed and then directing them to the door. But then you put it all down and it's got fresh eyes and they're like, oh, no, no, this is fine. This is good. Yeah, that um, that reminds me. I was listening to somebody who was working on a, a movie that they've been working on for over a year. And they talk about mm-hmm. how they sit down and write a joke in the writing room. And it's like, it, you know, the, the joke works really well there. And like a year later, you know, you've heard it so much because it's going through all the different phases of, of filming it and editing it. And it's like, by the time that it's done, you're like, I hope this still works. Like, I hope it just wasn't funny a year ago and people are actually yes. going to like it. Yes, exactly. It's exactly that. The same thing happens when you want to be really dramatic or if you want it, like I said, to be like uh, really um, hot or whatever. Um, and then even... Another important aspect of the super fun, sexy times book for me is that there's some element of sometimes you screw up in sex mm-hmm. and sometimes it's funny. <laughs> and so so you have a couple of jokes in there. It's like when I started writing them, they were really funny. And then you, the same exact thing, the, the does this joke still work? Mm-hmm. Just what, what am I doing? <laughs> uh now it's it's five different stories, right? In the in the mm-hmm. book, um, and you've all, you've mentioned even here that you were thinking of doing future uh, volumes and stories. Um, how do you handle exploring like a, a kink or a relationship dynamic that you haven't personally experienced? Um, I. <sighs> I'm one of those, well, first, so I'm one of those people that's always, like, fascinated by the psychology of sex and why people like the things they do. So I'm pretty open about talking about the academics about sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of kinks on the table that I don't know something about or at least understand what the appeal is. Mm-hmm. There are a handful where I'm like, I get what the appeal is, but I'm not <laughs> ever touching it. <laughs> right. um, Good for you, not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, when it comes to those and I would like to, the same as everything else with this book, I want to encompass 
if given the chance to do further books, I would like to encompass as many as broad uh, a pool of, you know, partners and interests and, you know, kinks as I can. Uh, so, I guess answering your question, um, I, I try and think of what works given the story, like I said, mm-hmm. as with everything with superheroes, it's always about something else too. Um, I try to write it the best I can, like reasonable people, uh, mm. you know, remembering, try, trying not to fetishize it, which is really easy. <laughs> um, and then, and then, you know, the, the best thing you can do is just find somebody who actually has an interest in that mm. kink and go, I will pay you to read this. Tell me <laughs> if I've done anything wrong. <laughs> That's yeah. It's typically good to find the people that have had experience. Uh, I know, I love that you're approaching this as a, getting into the mundane of superheroes' lives, because I know that's something Nick and I are both really interested in. You know, you get the 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 comic book talk, or the comic shop talk of, you know, how could Superman and Lois Lane have sex? And it gets to the... the clerk's level. Yeah, clerk, clerk's mall level. Rats, my bad, Mallrats. Yeah, that's right, yeah, Mallrats level of people just being weird. But it it, it really is, they're... I mean, they're people in 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 a fun way. I mean, yeah, they're fictional characters, but you know, they they do. We have been writing them for so long. They have their own psychologies and humanities, and it's just it's so fascinating to to dig yeah. into their personal lives. Well, and you know that conversation in particular, it's like, well, what that's that's a really good um, jumping off point to doing like a story about a couple where penetrative sex is just not on the table, which does occasionally happen. And it's like, well, how do you navigate that? Because there are ways helpfully to navigate the uh, relationships that have that consideration. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, that's the jumping off point we could use to, to give somebody who, who's maybe dealing with this in real life <laughs> to go, okay, okay, I, I see where, you know, it's it's a weird sort of representation for them, uh, but it's still applicable. You know what I'm, I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's great. I love that, you know, we mentioned that tried and, and true conversation and you, like, you have this really interesting, fresh take on it. Um, that's really cool. Uh, and, and also in superhero books, you know, there's kind of the problem of like the the girl in the refrigerator. Sex is this when sex does happen in a superhero book. It's it's part of the story in some really horrific, dramatic way. I always think of uh, the Spider-Man Rain story, where oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, that that's another thing. It's like a lot of the times too. With when I say you know I love the domestic superhero stories, part of it too is I'm like. Because in there they can be happy. Like hmm. nothing terrible is happening. They're yeah. they're not going to come home to find their girlfriend in the refrigerator. And I want ultimately in these stories for these these people to have uh, found a good happy place <laughs> um, where nobody's dead. But then also I remembered it, it's come up a couple of times while I've been doing this project. I remember somebody was doing an interview and it always stuck with me where they said, you know, in comics, 
they always do the lead into the bedroom and then they cut away <laughs> and then they cut back to, you know, them in the bed sheets or whatever. You know that sex happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they can't show you the actual sex, but there's, they're still also sort of using that as a crutch to not show real intimacy, even if they can't show you like, uh, you know, dick and balls, they can still <laughs> sort of like hand holding or something, you right, know, right, which... so, or, or even in, you know, casual settings, you know, there's little things we do for each other that can be far, far more intimate and not explicit, but, you know, we, we keep falling back on that, that panel afterwards where they're just both lying in bed exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of intimacy shown in any level. Uh, but they'll, they'll show all the blood and guts. Like, any right. level of violence is acceptable, but you show a penis and suddenly it's all off the table. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. There's kind of been, I, I feel like, some books that have been really celebrated in, in the last few years have kind of taken superheroes away from the big world ending events and kind of examine them on like a personal level. The the biggest one that pops to mind is Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Uh, is there, is there any superhero out there right now that you would love to get your hands on and and just show people a day in the life? Yes. Big Barda. God, I I would do anything to get Big Barda. Interesting. Why is that? I love, she's, she's my favorite character. Um, which is funny because I'm, I'm much more of a Marvel person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had to choose someone from Marvel, I'd choose, um, uh, oh God, Gertrude, Gertrude, uh, Gertrude Yorks from Runaways oh, nice. is okay, probably cool. my favorite, but, uh, my all time favorite comic character is going to be Big Barda. And the reason I like her so much is, um, she, for the most part, is exactly like Wonder Woman. She has a lot of the same skill sets. Um, she's not as in the know in a lot of things as Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. just because people just flat out don't tell her. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I always fall back as a good example. Like there was, what is it? There was one issue of Batman where Barbara as the Oracle saw that the Wayne mansion was about to get like robbed or something and nobody was there to protect it except big Barda was in the area mm-hmm. and big Barda doesn't know who, who Batman really is. And so she's like, Barda, I need you to go to this mansion. You need to protect this grandfather clock. It, which is, you know, the entrance to the Batcave. And she's like, nothing can happen to the grandfather clock. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think, like, in the last page or something, the whole house has fallen down. But she's holding up the grandfather <laughs> clock, and she's like, but fear not. The grandfather clock is fine. And it's a joke, basically, that she's not in the know, but it's also something where it's like, uh, she's not, they're, they're not making a joke like she's dumb, mm-hmm. you know? It's just. That's just sort of the character she kind of is. Um, but getting back to my original point, uh, she's a lot like Wonder Woman, but she kind uh, Wonder Woman, a lot of the things that made her Wonder Woman 
uh, it's her upbringing. You know, she's a princess. She was afforded all the love and affection and education mm-hmm. um, that privileged her to become this wonderfully kind, beautiful, strong lady. And Barda didn't get any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it would have been very easy for Barda with the background she had to turn into somebody not as loving or sweet or as kind as Barda. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the moment she was given the opportunity to have, to, to trust somebody that they could help uh, lead her to away from, um, what is it? Dark seed. Yes. Dark seed apocalypse. Yeah. Apocalypse. Yes. And, and that terrible life, like it would have been really understandable if she hadn't trusted them. Mm -hmm. Um, but she did a really brave thing. And so like that will always put her just a step above wonder woman for me is that she, she has all the same wonderful qualities, but she had to make a much more difficult choice earlier on Hmm. to trust people. The fact that she can, that she's such like a wonderful person, despite the fact that she came from such a horrific upbringing, like it didn't, she didn't allow it to excuse her behavior. She found a way to rise above it. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and this isn't for me to like bad mouth Wonder Woman, because I think it's come (laughs) up in a couple issues where she's been very frank about it. She's like, no, no, no. I am allowed to be all these things because I came from really, a really advantaged childhood. (laughs) Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she acknowledges it. Um, but meanwhile, you know, Bart is just this really happy person because she allows herself to be. That's mm-hmm. that's what it is. She allowed herself a, a better chance when offered. That's awesome. I man, I have not you have a deeper appreciation for Big Barda? Yeah, I really do. I do. I mean I can't remember the last time I saw Big Barda in a comic, and now I want to go find Big Barda comics. Well, they've got a. Um, uh, the, have you been Meredith? Have you been reading the Mister Miracle book from DC right now, or? I haven't started reading yet, but I've been hearing very good things, uh, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to giving it a look. See, um, but yeah, you were asking me what my my dream project would be, and I'd say Barda, and it wouldn't always just like I'm sure I would love to have Big Barda doing missions and stuff as well but i would like to do it treating it as a hawkeye thing too where you know um she also has to navigate whole foods <laughs> and and the many questions that arise for for people who have lived on earth their entire lives about what the hell is happening in whole foods i went, i can't imagine uh, how much more confusing it would be for someone off world <laughs> <laughs> What's I, Big Bar's opinion on the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods? That's what that's I. That's what know. you want to hear about that. That's I want that in a comic. I mean, yes, the, yes. Uh, I mean, what does what does Hippolyta need Whole Foods for? Are, <laughs> right, right. Whole Foods expands to Themyscira. Uh, yes. I have lived on Earth all my life and went and tried to shop in a Whole Foods for the first time a few months ago, and I had no idea what was going on. It was a experience nobody prepared me for that i worked near whole foods briefly and i just beelined it to their like um what am i trying to say quesadillas like they'll make quesadillas at this one particular whole foods and like that's all i did i got a quesadilla and i got out of there. <laughs> as 
little time there's, as possible. There's some interesting dining experiences there. <laughs> have you spent a lot of time in a Whole Foods, Meredith? Uh, I have, yes. Well, all right. Asked and answered. When, when I hang out with... when it, It's really... It's good for when you have a whole bunch of people that can't agree what they want to eat. Ah, yes. So you just throw them into Whole Foods and say, collect, you know, hunter-gather, <laughs> meet us back at the entrance in 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, modern hunter-gathering. It, yes. It really is. Get what you want and then <laughs> stop bothering me about it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Well, I was looking over uh, your your Tumblr earlier, and I was, you know, you have all these posts about the the man smut Mondays and the the badass bitches, mm-hmm. which are all so awesome. Um, oh, thank you. With the the badass bitches, did you? What inspired that? Actually, I'm really curious. Oh, um, so actually, what kicked it off was. Um, it goes back to Man Smut Monday because I I have this habit when I know I've, I'm not like devoting a lot of attention to a subject or, you know, I think I'm sort of uh, um, hiding something that I'm not as good at to sort of just throw myself into that hole uh, completely. And at the time I started the man's Mondays, it was, I just was not drawing dudes very often. And I'm like, I need to fix that. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not intimidated by it. Hmm. Uh, And so, so I'd been doing the man's months for a year or so. And then I themed them this year with the merman. Uh, And then, you know, as I got maybe, halfway in I'm like I can turn this into a sketchbook but if I turn this into a sketchbook I want to have a, a lady one to counteract it hmm. and I think there's something like I said there's Mansplit Monday and then there's I think it's Femme Friday mm-hmm. so I'm like this just makes sense let's just do that and and I wanted to theme it as well so I'm like I'll just do demon ladies that'll work has I mean, has it? Have you had to do like a lot of research? Have you discovered any uh, demon mythological women creatures that you hadn't known about before? Yeah, I discovered a couple of them. Uh, let's see, who comes up? There's. Hold on, let me get the list up so I can remember who I've even got. They're all finished now. Like I did them all in advance, and like so I could focus on other stuff mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, I really like the Alkanost, which is Russian, and it's the chicken lady. I posted that one already. Um, let's see. Uh, the Joan the Wad, which is um, from uh, from like fairy mythology and apparently she's like uh she's the equal to jack-o'-lantern hmm. uh, yes like the the original dude um that you'd carve turnip heads for uh she's much nicer than him <laughs> but, <laughs> but nobody knew about her 
and then that's another one I really like. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this. Ichthyocentaurs, hmm. which are centaurs that are also fishes. The front <laughs> half of them are centaurs, and then the back half of them are fishes. So, um, so there, there's a, a human top, and then uh, a centaur like hooves or whatever in front, and then like a fishtail. Yes, I yes, have... and you see them. Uh, you see them whenever you see pictures of like fountains in Italy or France or like Poseidon uh, fountains. Because, <laughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, you see them there occasionally. So. But I didn't know that that was a thing when I started this, but I really like it now. I have so oh, many anatomy also, questions. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, also the other thing is uh, I I think I had gotten to a point with both Man's Month Mondays and being comfortable drawing girls and guys at that point where I'm just like, with both of them, I'm like, I need to, I can draw both of them now. Now I need to figure out how to draw variety uh, in the the dudes and the ladies. So. <laughs> and, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some different body shapes in uh, in a number of the the creature women, and then of course the mermen. Who uh, look? I'm not gonna lie. Some of them just if I saw one of those waving at me from the shoreline, I would I'd probably be wandering out into the water. You, you're a little tempted. They're good looking dudes. I, I just looked up Ichthyo centaurs and like I'm amazed that I've never <laughs> so Nick's going like, down that hole. I I'm just, just I don't know like I'm kind of it's like it's like all you know centaurs and and fish people and humans like are the three best things so like that uh, they're all together. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I just I I just want to know how the the horse the the horse and Poseidon thing happened because. Even if you don't have Ixio centaurs, you do have the horses that have the fish tails. I'm like, how? That always seems to come up with Poseidon too. And I'm like, what? How? When did we decide this was a thing? Under what circumstances? Like, I don't think there are any manatees in Italy. Um, That's like what kind of real world elements inspired Ixio centaurs? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Or not? Uh, not even them. Like just the the. I forget what the other, the horse fish, where they're not centaurs. They're just top half horse, bottom half fish. Oh, those I have seen. Come up a lot too. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Where did we, how did we get here? (laughs) That's a question I ask myself every day. Uh, Yeah. Well, and there's another series I'm doing right now. uh, For Inktober, I did a bunch of cryptids. Yes. Um, I I did enough of them where I'm like, I'll just go for a hundred. Um, I'm finishing those up now, but for a lot of them, I'm like, sometimes the the research I'm doing on them, they'll be like, the people describing them are like, we think what they were actually seeing was this. And, the, and I'm still going, how? <laughs> I, how did they get from there to here? I'm sure you have very good reasons for thinking that that is what they thought they were seeing. Um, I'm going with drugs. What? <laughs> Yeah, you know, people ate all sorts of shit back then, and they still do. <laughs> right. It's, you know, the fact that they didn't have access to, like, modern technology to kind of be like, maybe there aren't, like, their telescopes just weren't, not telescopes, but what's the thing that, like, sailors use to see? Is it called a telescope? Yeah. Am I having one of my moments? Am I having one of my Nick moments? Yeah, you're spreading it to the rest I, of us. 
I know, I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm just saying they weren't as good as modern standards, so they look out in the water and they think they see a half human, half horse, half fish thing, and they just well, call it a day. Well, it's also like yeah. it's also like villains in Batman books. They're a superstitious and cowardly lot. They weren't going to go near that weird monster coming out of the water. There's a couple of them, actually, where it's like you're just reading about, and then the dude put the boat a little bit closer, and it's like, what, what were you doing? And there's one. There's one. I forget which one it is. It's like it's one of the sea serpents, Caddy or um, the Westminster sea serpent or something, where they just kept shooting it. <laughs> the thing... They're in the boat, like, and they're watching it, like, swim around them. And it's not, it doesn't bother them until they start shooting it. <sighs> I wonder why it got upset. <laughs> yes. Um, or, yeah, it comes up a lot. Uh, although my favorite, my favorite, you were saying, with, with technology and stuff, uh, one of them hasn't didn't come up until recently because of technology. It only showed up because people had security cameras now in oh. their front lawns. Um, and it's the Fresno Night, uh, Nightwalker. Uh, have you ever heard of that one? Fresno Nightwalker, Fresno no. Fresno Nightwalker. Huh, go on. Uh, nope. Okay. It's, uh, God, you can look up the video for it. I'm going I... to describe this to you, but I will do you no justice. It looks like it looks a lot like a Muppet I used to see on the Muppet Show, the way it walks. It, it looks like it's like a head on two stilts, uh, and, and the, it's wearing baggy pants or something, but there's nothing else to its body. It's just like two legs and the top of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it walks really funny, uh, and they only, it's only two houses have ever caught it on camera, and then people start paying attention to it, uh, and I guess the local Native Americans in the area are like, oh, yeah, no, we know about those. Nobody believed us when we told you about them, but they're there. Yeah, we got it. That It does look uh, like those Muppets. I know which ones you're talking about. This right? is so bizarre. Uh, my mom hates them. She's like, those are the ones that creep me out the most. I never want to look at it again. And then I told her about how the, the Indians in the area knew all about him. She's like, why did you tell me that? <laughs> it's creepy, but at I the same time, that. it looks like a cartoon pair of pants that ran away. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah. such are conflicting emotions. Are you seeing the emotions. one where it's two of them, or are you seeing the one where it's just one of them? I only, I'm seeing the one that's just one. I, I There's like a whole apparently... 10-minute documentary. Oh, here's the one that's two of them. Oh, that is so much creepier. I wish I had not clicked on that. <laughs> Ooh, just going to close that tab. Yeah. Okay. No, the ones, the, the cryptids that freak me the hell out, I, I found out about them while I was doing the um, research for this, was uh, the Black Stick Men. And they're sort of up there with, like, you know, the Slender Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where it's just, you know, very tall, very skinny, lanky men. Um, there's a video out of Russia where they have a what they say is a black stick man climbing across an apartment block. That one, I'm like, this is clearly CGI, but it's very unsettling. <laughs> but yeah. as as a as a myth, as a thought, it really freaks me out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been listening to a lot of uh, 
the no sleep podcast, which is no sleep stories from uh, Reddit that people narrate. Oh, they... oh, you don't have to tell me. But... <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. And uh, but I've been... I'm I'm listening to it. I think all of it the archives for what must be the sixth time oh. like my ultimate background music and i <laughs> i put them on while noise. i walk my dog at night in the neighborhood that i walk her in you know during the day it's really nice it's a it's a nice neighborhood but at night there's not a lot of lights and it's the perfect setting for listening to these stories because i'm just i'm constantly like this is where something gets me and no one would know well it, there is there are some of those stories where i'm like i don't even know why this is creepy um, I don't know if you've ever heard the one on two legs, which is about this kid. He's he's at a sleepover at like one of his aunt's or uncle's house, and he keeps hearing this weird tapping noise. Oh, I uh, think so. Okay, and it's the dog, and the dog is doing. I don't want to ruin it too much, but the dog is doing something very weird. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and it's a really short story. I think it's like maybe ten minutes total, mm-hmm. uh, spoken aloud. But I, I'm listening to it, and I'm like, this is very upsetting, like viscerally upsetting to me, and I don't know why it's making me ones. react so strongly. I know. Uh, <laughs> and there's there's some, too, that I listen to, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of dumb, but then I, it's right when I get home, and it's pitch black inside, and I'm terrified. Yeah. Uh, well, and it's funny to me, because I've been listening to you know all the no sleep podcasts i've been listening to all of lore and unexplained i've watched the lore television show they launched this year on amazon prime um if you haven't listened to either unexplained or lore if you like no sleep i would recommend either of them Mm -hmm. um but it's funny to me because between twisted romance and Super fun, sexy times, and I have one other romance book that hasn't been announced that there's nothing more I can uh, divulge about. Mm. Like all next year, it's going to be all romance, and <laughs> all of the next pitches that I'm that are waiting in the wings are all you know horror mysteries. <laughs> I'm like, and that's actually fairly common <laughs> yeah. for for people who actually make stories as they they waffle back between romance and. And horror. and horror stories. You, you kind of got to cycle, get it out of your system, and then move on, and then the new stuff builds up, and you come back to it. Exactly. Uh, now I will. I uh, I want to see if Nick has any questions here in a second, but I just want to say I know you can't do it for copyright reasons, but based on a drawing you did that you published on November fourth of Steve with the kids from Stranger Things. I really yes. wish that you could make a a book of Steve trying to wrangle these kids in while they oh just cause God, mayhem. It'd be amazing. It'd be a little like one of those cardboard books where it's the yes. super thick pages and yes. it's just like, you know, oh God, that would be that would be so good. It's amazing. I could as soon do as I saw uh, a complete season of just Steve hanging out with the kids. <laughs> Steve the babysitter. Steve was the best. It was so good. Yeah. So good. Uh, easily the probably my favorite part of the second season. And yeah. And watching the first season again too after after getting through it once, like seeing it, like I liked Steve more throughout it. He was really a jerk in the beginning. Like the first time you watch it, you're like, oh, he's just a douche. But the like watching it again, I'm like, no, he has some good moments. And then he Yeah. Comes um, in the end. 
I I was one of those people who sort of was Team Steve at the end of the first season. Mm. Um, this, and it wasn't what it came down to is at the end I only precariously like watched Stranger Things through uh, everyone else here at our house. Uh, my my death situation is in the living room, so when people watch stuff, I also end up watching it because I <laughs> yeah. cannot get away. Um, and so that's how the first season went until like the last three episodes of the, I finally, you know, put the full effort in. You gave it. You gave it so, at that point. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of the first season is a blur for me, but it really made a, a strong impression to me that. Uh, at the end when Steve apologized for being kind of a jerk and we see it again in uh, season two, like where he's preparing to do an apology. It's really genuine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, It's, it's, I don't, I don't know if it would have read the same through a different actor. Maybe it's all Joe Curie. um, Or maybe it is just a script, but it was like, I was really happy that Nancy, uh, I would have been like, it's too cliche if she ends up with Jonathan at the end of season one. And I was really happy that she ended up with Steve again. Cause I'm like, you know, this is how it goes in relationships. Yeah. Like it sucks and you fight. And then one of you has to be a big enough person to apologize. And it should have been Steve. And it was Steve. It was. And, and... you know, then he beat, and then he beat the Demigorgon's head in, you know, like, yeah. I appreciated all of that. That's what we all wanted a guy really. Yeah. Someone with sweet bat skills. <laughs> yes. Yes, cinnamon muffin man with with the nail bat. <laughs> Good yeah. with kids. Good yeah, kids, with kids. Great with Good kids. Good with kids can swing a bat. That's yep. that's what. It, what else do you need? In a profile, uh, profile. And then like hair that's like five inches off the top of his head. Yes, with eighties with eighties Steve hair. Oh. Yes. So good. So good. Yep. It was really good. Nick, do you have any questions that you want to ask? I I mean I don't have any like like I'm when it comes to interviews or like anything you I want to bring up what or anything like any up? any subject no any subjects you want to bring up just in general I don't know so I so I, I was just saying like I don't really have any specific questions I did take the time to read the first volume of Hinges before this interview just because I really hadn't you know David has has mentioned you in the past uh, and spoken very highly of you and I had never really checked out your work I brag so about I my cool out. friends I don't know yeah I know what a weirdo Aww. um so yeah, anyway I I read Hinges and. I really enjoyed it, and I it's the kind of thing where I've only read it once so far, and I really don't like trying to like deep dive into like, oh, it's really interesting how you did this and like blah blah blah, uh, unless like I've given it a couple more passes. But the thing that like immediately jumped out to me, like I didn't realize was going on the entire time I read it, but it was just, like very smooth, was that the main character almost never talked. Like really, I think there was only two dialogue boxes uh, for the main character Oreo in that first volume, but at the same yeah. time the story wonderfully and uh, i guess i'll just ask them what what was the impetus behind because on one hand when i looked at the, the two things that she does say they weren't particularly profound things like i almost felt like you could have just not had those dialogues dialogue boxes so what was the the idea behind having her not talk at all and then including the dialogue that you did if, um part of it having her not talk at all part of it that was a there's a twofold answer there one is 
uh, at the time, I was not feeling very confident in my scripting dialogue, and I probably still, I still feel that way. Like, I feel like if given the chance to ramble, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm just not going to, I'm going to try and keep them from talking as much as possible. Um, but then the other part of it, too, is that um, the, the idea is that Oreo is like this new person. She's she's a, in a full-grown adult body, but she's a, kind of a baby. Uh, so she just doesn't have the confidence level to or, or the ability to um, to engage yet. And that's why it was important at the end. Uh, when she does finally speak is she's by, by talking, even though I think like the first thing she actually says is just, you know, yes. And Mm. it's the first time she makes an actual decision for herself. Um, And, and for, in regards to something that will shape her future. And so I felt like that was the time where she having her speak would be most appropriate. Uh, it does change as the book progresses. Like I said, she's uh, a lot of that book is just watching a person develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the next book, she speaks a little more. And then by the last book, three books total, and by the last book, she's much more confident and speaking more clearly and, you know, directing people. Do you feel? Uh, do you feel like, on in that regard, like as you were going through the creation for these books, that you became more confident in your dialogue? And that's like, was it was it a conscious choice? I mean, I, like you just said that, like part of it was that you didn't actually feel confident in your your skills at writing dialogue. But as you got through that first book and then made it into the second book, like, did you envision that plan from the start to like open up her dialogue as her story continued? Um, I knew I was going to continue to open her up to speaking more. Mm-hmm. One second, my phone's doing a thing. Um, yeah, I was. I knew that she was going to end up speaking more as the the series progressed. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where it's like, it doesn't matter how confident I feel about dialogue. Uh, this is where we need to go. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and so even to this day, like, I, I'm i still sort of like, do people talk like this, really? Or is it just me? Like, uh, what it actually, it, it swings around back to Twisted Romance because I, I, threw, I threw the pitch for my story at Alex. And, you know, as I'm going through the story, which she foolishly agreed to let me do I realized oh this is almost all talking why why did I do this to myself because the big thing with comics is it's talking and showing and I'm like like, why at this point I'm pretty much convinced that the only reason I don't just go for prose is I don't want to actually like describe backgrounds or whatever (laughs) I just do comics so that you can see the two people talking, uh, but it's all talking. And I'm like, oh my god, what have I done? So, yeah, uh, if you pick up issue two of Twisted Romance, be prepared for me trying to be uh, a little, 
a little introspective about romance <laughs> and uh, a cool. lot of words. Great. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. Yeah, it's there's a second story, like I said, that there's I have all these um, macabre stories waiting in the wings. There's one that I keep I keep pitching it essentially as it's my dinner with Andre meets body snatchers. So <laughs> it's like a lot of talking. That is a lot of talking. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, there's a whole like three chapters where they're just in one one scene and they're just talking to each other. Yep. But yeah. I don't want to describe what they're doing with their hands or like what the kitchen is, it looks like or whatever. So we're going to draw it. Well, you wonderful certain... world of comics. Yep, and you certainly have the ability to do so. I, I try. You know, <laughs> even even when even under those circumstances, you're like, I still have to make it visually interesting somehow, and they still have to be doing something with their hands or whatever when they're talking or. There's always, think, you always have to be aware with characters what that character will do if they, you know, do they get bored and fidgety or are they just like ramrod straight the whole time? Like, it's always a consideration what they're, they're non-verbally projecting as well as what they're actually saying. Right, which in a lot of ways, like, not, I mean, it's really apples and oranges, like, you can't, I'm not going to start a fight between prose, you know, writing and, like, comic expression, but that is, I think, an element that makes comics really awesome is the, even compared to, like, you know, like, movie, like, um, you know, type mediums that, like, um, I might not be reading a description of, like, this person, you know, it goes, like, walks into the kitchen or anything, but like a really competent storyteller, like trying to express that visually. Uh, and I think something that hinges does really well, like, even though like you're saying like, Oh, like I wasn't really confident in my dialogue. Like you, st- you still told a story like without dialogue all through visuals. And to me, and one of the things I love and th- that makes me love comics so much is the fact that like, not to say that like words and like dialogue can't, aren't important to a comic, but like when you can take them out and still tell an understandable story, like that's the magic of comics that prose can't really touch. The, who was it? You might really enjoy, there's a TED Talk by Chip Kidd. Oh, um, Chip Kidd, yeah, okay. Yeah, and he's talking, he's not talking about any of his Batman or comic work, I don't believe, but he's talking about when he helps design book covers and uh, what goes on there in the thinking processes. And the most important thing he says is basically... And I think it's the overarching theme of this discussion is um, you can show or you can tell, but you can't do both. Um, so it's like uh, you can tell a person that they're doing there. You can do it in prose. You can say he's opening the door or you can show that he's opening the door. Uh, but do not do both of them because then you're just like wasting everyone's time. Then that's just all the Marvel comics from the 70s. I was just thinking the same thing, like Spider-Man shoots a web and then Spider-Man's thing, like, I'll just shoot this web over here to yeah. test that guy, like, you already showed yeah. us. Yeah, you know, it, and that's something that comes up, I think, a lot, um, or it's something that has evolved in comics more and more, and it's something that I strive to, too, as well, as far as the storytelling I do, both visually and, and especially dialogue-wise, as we discussed before with my fears of babbling um 
try and keep it in the simplest terms as possible, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Say as little as possible. Show only what's necessary. Um, you know, don't have characters there that don't ultimately serve a purpose. Mm. Um, there's a there's something called oh god, I think it's called Asimov's Bullet. Uh, check out the gun. Uh, maybe where it's like you don't show. You don't pay particular attention to something if it doesn't have some importance yeah. to the plot. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. Chekhov's gun. Basically, you don't if you don't show a gun in one in like one panel if you're not going to have someone shooting it in another panel. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, um, in my head that made sense with the simple theme, but. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like you, you don't show things that aren't going to matter later on, you know? Right. So, so, yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. No, I'm definitely, it definitely makes me like I'm, like I'm, I'm going to pick up Hinge's volume to just, you know, it, it, it was one of those things like I, I mean, I've certainly read a lot of comics in like the last 20 years or however long I've been reading comics now. Uh, and it's always like refreshing when like you do pick up a project and for me, like not like I knew the interview was coming, but I was like, all right, well I should definitely read something, but I didn't like, it's not like I saw all the trailers and stuff beforehand, like with a movie. So I just plopped down, read it and just like feel like seeing the, how the creative process kind of came across on the page and just like, was a really refreshing and like, um, that's what I'm looking for. I don't know, like an easy read, but like in a good way. Like it was just, I was impressed. So I'm definitely looking forward to the next volume. Oh, good. If nothing else with hinges, like there's, it's because it's one of the first long form projects I do. Like there's a lot of me looking back going, I could have done that better. But I, one thing I will always say to its advantage is I think you can see a lot of growth happening in that book because like I said, it's the first long form comic I ever did. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time where I had to think eventually we have to get to this place and it can't happen until like 300 pages later. So, <laughs> oh, What a journey. I imagine it's a very daunting task. A little bit, but I don't know how other people do it. I especially don't know how people do it when they have ongoings where, where they don't know where they're going to end up. I'm like, that's frightening. <laughs> I, I do think that a lot of times they just wing it, just like, yeah, it was the plan all along. But in reality, it was just uh, I threw it, put us in this corner, and I had no idea how it was going to get us out. Well, unless it's Jonathan yeah, Hickman's I, Fantastic I'm... Four run. Unless it was what? I'm oh, sorry? John, anything from Jonathan Hickman? Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four run, which was a carefully crafted web. Was it? Yes. Oh, yeah. I... Did you ever okay. read it, David? I ha- I read a little bit of it, but I just I heard from some people who read it at the time when they got to the conclusion, like they were rereading it and like there is stuff he was setting up in this issue like three years ago that is paying off now, and yes. it just he yeah. really that's, carefully that's laid it out. Yeah, same thing with his Avengers uh, run. Yeah, I'm one of those people where it's like I won't even start a story unless I'm like I know that this is where it ends, and there's a couple projects where you know. Um, the way comics work, sometimes you get approached by the writers, you know, with their pitch. and uh, It's always very much, much more hard, uh, difficult for me to, to agree to a project where I'm like, all right, and where does this end? Yeah. 
Yeah, that was something that came up uh, in the conversation I had with John Arcudi, where a story, you know, you, you, you want to have the journey last as long as you can, but it's important also to know where things are going to go, because otherwise you're just meandering. Mm-hmm. Or you're Marvel in DC. Or, yeah. or, you know, you have to be, if you are going down that road, you have to be prepared for it still to... Uh, inconvenient places for you. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you if you wander, you might end up places you don't want to be, but you're there now. And even in storytelling, it's like now you have to deal with this. Yeah, right. How do you own it? People have to change. Characters have to do thing that's not in their character in order to make the story move forward after however many years. Well, yeah. Um. Or, or maybe they have to go. Maybe it becomes someone else's story. I mean, what was it? The whole thing with the Scarlet Spider, where initially uh, Peter was before they turned it into the Clone Wars or whatever. It was going to be Peter, like completely putting down the mask and it going to somebody else, whoever the next person was. It's like. Comics need uh, superhero comics need to be brave that way a lot more. Yeah, I agree. Right, it's, it's like as controversial as it was. Like at the time, if they really were going to commit the idea of like we're going to retire this character, then like that would have been a really bold and powerful thing. But it being comics, like the only thing that I think is sacred, and I'm sure it will get ruined someday, is that Uncle Ben is still dead. Um, <laughs> you know, but like Barry Allen's uh, back. When oh, you know Bucky's yeah. back. Jay Garrick is that? still kind of a retired Flash, kind of. No, no, because they've been they've been uh, hinting at Jay Garrick and the rest of the Justice Society coming back with Why would with you Rebirth. S- oh. I oh, didn't know that. Did you read the Rebirth like... special? It's been a while. Meredith, what were you saying? Um, I think that's part of what was so astonishing about the Ultimate series was that was the first time in superhero comics where dead meant dead. <laughs> And I think it it threw a couple people. Uh, every time I try to explain uh, the the Marvel Ultimates line to people, and and who did not make it, and they're just like they they can't do that at comics. I'm like, well, they did. They did. They actually killed oh. Peter Parker. Spoiler alert for people who have not they, read. They them. killed Peter Parker. They killed Logan. Uh, they killed all the X Men, like Cyclops, like everyone. All the X Men died. Jean, I think, was the only one, at least for a little while. Oh, like, she's not dead. She's just hiding. Oh, yeah. Jean was hiding. Um, you're right. Wolverine, Logan. Did Colossus die? I think Colossus may have died. Uh, buddy. Uh, Storm think, survived. Yeah. Wolverine and Logan are but, the same guy. You know, Did I say Wolverine and Logan? You saw them die. Yeah, yeah no. You... you saw them die. They were dead. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, they did kill Peter Parker, and then they had, they felt the need to bring him back, like, right before the Ultimate Universe ended. I don't know if you guys knew that. He <sighs> did. Peter, Ultimate no. Peter Parker did come back to life. There was a whole storyline. I think it was, like, the last they major... Ruined, I could have... did. It was... They ruined their greatest, their greatest advantage. Right, right. I mean, they ended the whole universe, so I guess, in theory, everyone is truly <laughs> dead now. But they, they did this whole storyline where, and it, it, on one hand, it makes sense, like basically, because they kept bringing the Green Goblin back, saying that like it had something mm-hmm. to do with the Oz formula, formula that created him, which is the same thing that created uh, Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe. So the idea was that if Peter Parker has a, a similar formula to the Green Goblin, and the Green Goblin keeps coming back, then Peter would come back, and that was their reasoning for bringing him back. So we got to ride off into mm-hmm. the sunset 
which was still like, no, you should have just kept him dead. Yeah, I could have gotten my yeah, whole life and, that, and... knowing that. Yeah. And I mean, this isn't me complaining about, like, Bucky Barnes being back because he gave us the Winter Soldier and whatever, and I'm happy about that. But, you know, uh, at, by the same token, you know, when you have these ongoing series, like, sometimes you really have to, you have to be, if you want to keep people really on their toes, you have to make some hard decisions and then commit to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like superior Spider-Man, and that and that's true. Like they're like, and that's what like at this point, that's what I look for myself. And when it comes to reading superhero comics, are the people that are like diverting the most. Like not necessarily for the sake of diverting. Like you don't like you don't want to just say like, hey, what if Doc Doc Doctor Octopus took over Peter Parker's body and tried to live his life? Like as like a basic idea, it's interesting, but can be done horribly wrong. In my opinion, Superior Spider-Man was pretty fantastic, but so not just for the sake of it, but. Like, as you said, you really need to, like, take these characters in some interesting directions. Otherwise, it's just going to be Spider-Man punching the same bank robber over and over again. Yeah, like, who, um, oh, gosh. Uh, I haven't had a chance to pick it up myself, but everything I've been reading leads me to believe that they're doing exactly what I wanted them to do. Uh, the Chris... Samney and I forget who the writer is right now um, on Captain America right now. Is that um, is it Mark Wade? Um, sure. Mark Wade, it's yeah, Mark, Wade, Mark yeah. Wade and Chris Samney. Yeah, where where they're they're doing what I I wanted them to do uh, back when they're like, oh god, uh, they they're doing exactly what I'm like. This is the only way you can recover from from Hydra Cap is by having this quiet, introspective book where he's re-examining what it means to represent America. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, because they fucked everything up with Hydra Cap. Like, that's where <laughs> they should have ended up uh, when that book ended. And now, at least Sammy and Wade are sort of, like, doing what that book should have actually ended up doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they were going to commit to that, you know. With a shit show anyway, but you know. See, and I was always people knows, that like literally everyone knows how I feel about that book. I've yelled true. about it a lot. So. It's true. So cool. Uh well yeah. Meredith, thank you so much uh for talking with us today. Uh, before we wrap up here, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, people can find you around the web, upcoming projects. I know we've talked about some of them, but uh, if you have like any dates for anything. Um, yeah, let's see. So they can find me at Meredith McLaren, uh, dot com, And, uh, oh, I did this to myself. I gave myself the handle iniquitous fish on Twitter, which nobody can spell. Uh, so, uh, just Google Meredith McLaren on Twitter. You'll find me. Uh, I'm very political on Twitter. So it's just, very true. if you just want the pretty artwork, go to my Tumblr. <laughs> um, and then, Let's see. Twisted Romance will be February of next year. Super Fun Sexy Times will be early 2019. Because um, books take a long time. And I have two other as-of-yet unannounced projects. One should be seeing some major press around May. Mm-hmm. Actually, they both might be seeing press around May. So... 
but that's as much as I think I'm allowed to say about that. Well, maybe when those get announced, we'll have to snag you back on here to get you to talk some more about them. You are absolutely welcome to. It was a delight to talk to both of you. All right. Meredith, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.